Welcome to Respect, Relate, Connect, the official podcast for Living Room Conversations, a nonprofit organization focused on building understanding and bringing people together through guided conversations since 2010. Welcome to this month's episode of Respect, Relate, Connect, the official podcast for Living Room Conversations. I'm your host, Stuart Fletcher, and in honor of Pride Month, we are going to be discussing our LGBTQIA plus exploring our understanding guide. Before we get to our guests, I wanted to give a little bit of background on the organization. Living Room Conversations was established in 2010, and it works to heal society by connecting people across divides, no matter the divide, political, age, gender, race, whatever it is. We use guided conversations to build understanding and transform communities. We work across every sector. We work in schools and libraries and faith communities and neighborhoods and homes. Basically, anywhere that you can have a conversation, living room conversations can work there. But now, time for the moment that all the listeners have been waiting for, my guest today. Please welcome to the show, Reverend Dr. Marion Edmonds Allen, Executive Director of Parity, an N, uh, I almost said NYC because that's how it's written, but a New York City-based national nonprofit that works at the intersection of faith and LGBT concerns. Marion has worked with youth and families in various denominations and settings throughout the country, but we just found out that we're both here in Utah, and I had no idea. But welcome to the show. And I also want to welcome Michael Soto. Is that how I say your last name? Soto? Yes. Yep. Welcome, Michael. He's the Chief Advocacy Officer for One Community, a coalition of businesses and organizations moving diversity, inclusion, and equality for all Arizonans forward. Michael's proud to use his more than two decades of policy and political strategy experience to advance equality and the political efficacy of LGBTQ Arizonans. Welcome, Michael. Again, another Southwest brother out here in Utah, Arizona. I love it. And our final guest is Nicole Zeloff. I don't have a professional resume for her, so I created one. Nicole has been working for over a decade at becoming a professional friend maker. Everywhere she goes, she can build friendships and connections with literally anybody she meets. I've seen Nicole become best friends with a stranger within a couple of minutes, and I'm just sitting there impressed. She has years of experience being the life of the party, and I'm grateful to have her on. So welcome, all of you. Thank you so much. Oh, hush you. <laughs> You're biased. <laughs> That is true. I might be biased in Nicole's favor. We have been friends for almost a decade. Ew. Doing pretty good. <laughs> That's rough. We got to end it. Just cut it off. Okay. This will be the last time then. Perfect. <laughs> We're done after this. Yeah. This is the height of the career. We just end right here. It's perfect. <laughs> You're on. So uh, an important part of every living room conversation is the introduction round. Do you guys all have access to the guide that I sent out over email? We're going to be going through each of those rounds as if we're just doing a normal living room conversation in person. 
And so that first round is an introduction round. We're going to go around and answer one uh, or sorry, all of these four questions. Your name, where you live, a little bit about your experience with the LGBT plus community. And then if this is your first living room conversation. And I'll go first, and then we'll go to Marion, and then Michael, and then Nicole, and that is the cycle will follow. So again, my name is Stuart. I live here in Utah. I go to Brigham Young University. Um, I personally am not a member of the LGBT community, but I've been an ally basically since I met Nicole. She was very convincing. <laughs> and so, and I, I've loved the opportunities there to work alongside the community and be exposed to my little brother, Scotty, has been openly gay since he was, I think, 16 or 17. But I've, I always joke that I knew he was gay before he did just because of the way we would interact. I was like, there's, there's something very special about you. And I, he's always had a bit of a, a different perspective on the world than I have. And I've always appreciated that. This is not my first conversation. I am the social media manager for Living Room Conversations. So I've been through quite a few, but this is my first with all of you. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. Well, Stuart, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. My name's Marion, and I'm zooming in from northern Utah. Pleasant View is the name of the town, which is a little north of Ogden, Utah. And um, I'm originally from Maine. So I love Utah, but I'm a water girl from Maine. I, I'm someone who didn't realize I was LGBT until I was about 40. I grew up in rural Maine, didn't know it was LGBT was a thing. And until I met my very first out LGBT person and realized that was me, and it was kind of like, oh, aha, then my life changed. And ever since then, I've been involved in LGBT work in various ways, whether um, running an LGBT affirming church or nonprofit work. I was executive director of a LGBT youth center for a few years and the Utah Pride Center, the, the Family Acceptance Project, that kind of thing. And now with Parity, which is based in New York, but I live in Utah. While I was in New York, I was part of a living room conversation at Auburn Seminary. And this was years ago. And it feels like I'm not, how old is living room conversations? It's my question. It's about to hit its 25th anniversary, I think. We're getting pretty close. That's awesome. So I think my experience was probably six or so years ago. And it it was an amazing experience for me. And I'm I'm really thrilled to be here today and to be part of this conversation. What part of Maine did you live in? I grew up uh, near Wells, which is kind of near Kennebunk, Agunquit, Southern Maine. Gotcha. My brother was born in Bangor. Oh, and you know how to say it too. Nice. I, I try. I've actually never <laughs> been to Maine, but. Oh, you got to go. I got to go. <laughs> Michael? Uh, hi, Stuart. Um, I'm Michael Soto, um, and I am from Phoenix, Arizona. I was born and raised in uh, Mesa, Arizona, and I'm calling from Phoenix today. So uh, I've lived here most of my life, uh, although occasionally I've escaped the desert. Um, I always seem to come back. <laughs> um, uh, I, um, I'm a transgender man, and really my first sense of gender was that uh, that I was a boy um, when children developed their sense of gender around the three and between three and five. Um, 
I didn't realize that I was a trans person or know that trans people existed until I was an adult, uh, until I was about 19, when I met my first transgender person, and finally everything clicked for me, and I was like, oh, wow, there, there are people, other people like me, and there's, there's a path forward for me, um, so that all kind of came together. Um, as I was a very young adult, uh, and I began the transitioning process, and this was decades ago. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my connection to the LGBTQ community. And um, this is my first living room conversation. I'm very excited to be here and so excited that uh, Marianne uh, invited me to participate and that you invited me and just excited to be here with everybody and uh, love the the way that you go about this. So it's a, uh, it's a real honor to participate in this kind of conversation. Well, thank you. We're, we're happy to have you a part of the conversation too. Hi, I'm Nicole Zeloff and I live in Austin, Texas as of right now. Um, and I uh, am originally from Maryland. That's where I met Stuart. Actually, we went to high school together and um, I lived in Maryland, moved to Tampa. Now I'm in Austin. So I just had to get weirder and weirder and weirder. And I found my way to Austin eventually. And uh, let's see, when it comes to being a part of the LGBTQIA, sometimes why community, it's like, I've kind of have always been interested in it in some kind of fashion. I've always been drawn towards um, communities of people that are not of the norm or can even be considered taboo in some kind of way. And I was always fascinated by it. And it makes sense because I realized I was a part of it. Um, like 12 or 13 years old, like I was every, I was everyone's first gay friend in some kind of way. I'm like, oh, what's wrong with kissing girls? <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> and then we it just kind of flourished from there and since then i have now come to terms with the fact that i'm pansexual and gender fluid and all these things essentially i can't make up my mind and um that's how i would prescribe best my sexuality and my gender identity and since then it's just been a thrill ride i mean i've been involved with some gay communities in my school when i was in high school but since then, I mainly just exist for myself in my own terms. And I feel like that's the best representation to take for the community is to also introduce yourself to new people and show like, hey, this is actually not everything that you see on television or here on Twitter is the best representation of what the community is. I believe just existing as yourself for yourself, being a good person, that is the best representation. So I try to do that just by existing defiantly every day. And this is my first conversation and it's fun so far. Existing defiantly. I think you should put that on your gravestone. I'm going to put that on my forehead, actually. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining me. We are going to move into the conversation agreements section. Now, these six points are the guidelines for living room conversations. And they are set up by dialogue experts to identify stress points in conversations and to make sure that we avoid those. Because we want this to be a conversation that there can be tension if there has to be, there can be disagreement, but we want to make sure that it's done in a civil way, in a way that everybody feels respected and everybody feels equal. 
So we're going to read through these six. I'm going to read the first one, and then we'll go back in that same order that we were in before. And then each of you will read one, and hopefully we'll all agree to live these six agreements during this conversation. So I'll go first. Be curious and listen to understand. Would you read the next one for me, Stuart? Because I'm not looking at it. Yeah. Show respect and suspend judgment. I love that. Uh, Note any common ground as well as any differences. Be authentic and welcome that from others. Be purposeful and to the point. And then I can read uh, Marion's as well. Own and guide the conversation. I want each of you to think about these six points and to identify one that might be a little bit harder for you naturally. And to really try to focus on that as we go through this conversation. And I extend that same invitation to all the listeners. The one that I really want to work on is note any common ground as well as any differences. I think it's always important to emphasize where we agree and also to make sure that we know where we disagree. But it's important to know that in general, and this is what I found through every living conversation, people agree a lot more than they think they do. So we'll move into round one. And as you go further down that guide, round one is the getting to know each other round. Each participant will take one to two minutes to answer one of these following questions. What are your hopes and concerns for your family, community, and or the country? What would your best friend say about who you are? What sense of purpose, mission, slash duty guides you in your life? So we'll go back into that same rotation. I'll go first, and then we'll go one at a time. I'm going to answer the last question. What sense of purpose, mission, slash duty guides you in your life? I'll try to answer it quickly. I've been known to talk quite a bit, so... There's a story that my mom tells of me as a child. Obviously, I don't remember it, but I've been told it so much, it must be true. That she was pregnant with my little brother, Scotty, and she was carrying a a laundry basket up the stairs, and she was just overcome. Stress, the physical stress of being pregnant, the emotional stress of having to take care of the kids, all these things weighing down on her all at once. And she got to the top of the stairs, and she just kind of stopped and sat down, put the laundry basket down. She was just kind of done. And I was about two years old at this time. And the way my mom tells it, I saw her and I ran over to my little two-year-old bed and I pulled up my little pillow, my little two-year-old blanket, and I pulled it to her and I gave it to her so that she could be comfortable as she laid at the top of the stairs. And that is something that really motivates me. It really is a sense of purpose that drives me because I hope that I can live a life that lives up to that little kid, to that two-year-old who was just willing to give up his only possessions to help his mom when she was stressed out. So every day I try to live up to that. I don't know if I succeed, but I try. I bet you do, Stuart. From, from just knowing you a little bit, that seems just like you. I'll, I'll answer what my hopes and concerns are for our world right now. Um, I'm imagining that your listeners are highly engaged in bridge building, or at the very least, curious and interested in it. And I would imagine I'm not alone in being worried about how divided 
we all seem right now. And being an LGBT person of faith, I feel like I, I live both sides of something that is really divisive right now. A lot of people think that if you're LGBT, that means that you not only can you not be a person of faith, but probably you're anti-faith is generally what people think. And people also think, well, if you're a faith person, you must hate LGBT people. And my joke whenever I speak somewhere is to say, I probably scare you for some reason because I'm a queer person in a clerical collar. There's got to be something frightening about that. And I think it, it's true because that's that's what we're what we hear in the air. I know when I first figured out that I was LGBT, I was in theological school and getting ready to be ordained. And I thought, well, that's it. I can't be a person of faith anymore because I'd heard over and over again that the two don't go together. So I spent months really wrestling with, okay, well, can I be a person of faith and be LGBT? And, and I figured that out for myself, that God loved me before I realized I was LGBT and God still loved me. And there was a path for me going forward. So my hope is that people start being like Nicole and making friends everywhere so that when there's a question like, oh, well, can people be LGBT and be people of faith? They think about me or they think about someone else, a new friend or an old friend that they've met who's both. And so knowing different folks from different perspectives, I think, helps us to navigate this world where we're told certain things. But putting a face to a quote unquote issue really helps for all of us to, to navigate the world with, with, with friendliness and curiosity and hope. I'm going to answer the, what are your hopes and concerns for your family, community, and country? Um, you know, we, uh, I have a lot of concerns for our country these days um, because I see so much division and so much, um, so much of people not asking questions anymore and not being curious and not trying to get to know people in their families, their neighbors, um, people that they, you know, that they newly meet, but instead judging folks. And so um, this is really closely also connected to, I think, my purpose in life. Um, I think that connection and relationship is the way through most things, right? It's the way through most conflict. It's the way to um, find solutions. Um, you know, Marianne and I have done some really wonderful work together with people of all different walks of life that you would not expect to see in a room together. And you know, when you get to sit down with people, you actually find out when you when you talk to people as human beings that we've got a lot more in common, that our values are a lot more in common, that our hopes and dreams for our country, for our families um, look the same, <laughs> even if we have different routes of getting there. And so um, I think there's just so much more common ground than we than we really give people uh, the benefit of the doubt around. Today, we seem to be assuming that we've got a whole lot more difference than we have in common and just in general as a society. And so my hope is that we find a way back to that common ground, right? We find a way back to those ideals, those values, those dreams that make us a nation, that make us a community together, right? Striving to do something amazing in this world um, and this country is amazing, right? The values of this nation, the the way, the history that we have um, shaped as a country, 
uh, as a people is pretty incredible and rather unique in the world. And so I hope we can remember that for all the mistakes we make, because we make lots of mistakes, we're humans. We also do incredible things and that the mistakes um, don't have to take away from the incredible things that we do as long as we learn from those mistakes. And so um, that's my hope is that we can get to a place of learning as individuals, as families, as communities, as a nation, um, and we can move forward together. Um, we can find a way to keep doing amazing and incredible things that uh, didn't necessarily exist before we did them, right? And so, um, yeah, that's my hope, and I hope I can play a small role in that by being someone who builds relationships and tries to help people see what we have in common more than what we have difference. The mistakes don't have to take away from all that we've accomplished as long as we learn from the mistakes. I love that. Thank you. Hi. So I would like to take the time to talk about what would your best friend say about you? Kind of seems a little obvious and on the nose for this conversation of all times. But um, I have the pleasure of actually having my best friend here. So why don't you give a little gist of what you would say about me? And then I'll reiterate that. Is that okay? I think that might be cheating, but I can go ahead. <laughs> what I would say about Nicole is that she is a natural empath, that she is very naturally selfless and goes out of her way to put people ahead of her. But at the same time, she is very confident in who she is and she lives life fully and she doesn't let anybody else diminish that, but she also doesn't shove it in people's face. She lets people live their own life while also being absurdly confident in the way that she lives hers. Hey, well, I'm glad I got that on tape. You're going to send me this recording afterwards, right? Okay, <laughs> just want to make sure. Um, yeah, I, I think the most important thing to me is... I do my best above anything else is to live without judgment, mainly because I think I'm so weird that it would be absurd for me to judge anyone else. Like people always say to me or they'll come up to me and they'll be like, I'm sorry, this is so weird, but, and then they'll say something and I'm like, oh, I could talk that you're fine. <laughs> and it's led me on that way of thinking has led me on a path of just like, being very open to like even people who are insanely divisive and aggressive and incorrect i do my best to try to just hear them and be like okay so i wouldn't say that however i think you raised this point that's kind of correct and it's caused me to be very open because even people in my own community in the lgbt community can be very divisive about things and I don't think that's talked about enough. And I, I think that my best friends would say about me that I do my best to be open, but I also do my best to be true to myself. So that causes me to be very moderate about certain opinions that I have. And that doesn't always bode well with people who are extreme on either side of the spectrum when it comes to this kind of conversation. So people who are more radicalized in the LGBT movement, like, oh, you shouldn't be accepting of this kind of behavior, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, no, they, this person's my friend. And I actually know them and their intention. They're not saying it correctly, but I know their intention. And that is what matters to me. And it's like, no, 
what they say is what they are. And same thing goes on the other side. And it's like, how could you be okay with that behavior of this person? They're acting ridiculous. And I was like, yeah, they're being ridiculous, but they've been victimized by a series of events that's caused them to become this defensive. So if you combat it from that perspective, you'll be able to understand them better. And it's hard because <laughs> when you're in the middle, people on either side are going to think you're too far away from their side. Therefore, you must be too leaning to that side. But that's the existence of being in the middle. And I think that I would hope that my friends understand that that moderation is important to me because it's authentic to me. And that's where I come from when it comes to me relating to the LGBT community, which isn't easy, but I try to make it work. <laughs> I feel like I got to know you all so well just through that. Do we even have to keep going through the conversation? But we will. Uh, <laughs> round two is where we find the bulk of our questions. And this will be kind of the, the heart of our conversation here today. Round two has several questions. But before we get to that, can I get one volunteer to read the very top paragraph on the web page, right underneath the picture of the hand with the heart, starting with over the years? Anybody willing to read that? Nicole. Over the years, we have seen increasing attention and understanding toward the LGBTQ plus community. For many, this is cause for celebration, while others may regard it with confusion or concern. Gender and sexuality exist on a spectrum, which can make it hard to define. Specific terminology and shifts in language used can create a barrier to people engaging in conversations around this topic. This conversation is designed to explore your understanding and interactions with the LGBTQ plus community. Thank you. So I'm going to read out these questions and then each of you will pick one question and take two minutes to answer it. Once we've gone through all four people answering, we'll open up the conversation and we can have a bit more back and forth. It'll be a bit more natural but we want to make sure that everybody's given the opportunity to have their voice heard before we start, you know, loosening up the structure. So I'm going to read through these and then we will go in reverse order. We'll go Nicole, then Michael, then Marion, then me. Where has your understanding of the LGBTQIA plus community come from? How has it shifted over time for you? How certain do you feel about what to believe about sexuality slash gender identity? Do you ever have doubts if you've arrived at the right conclusions? How free do you feel to voice any doubts you do have? What is your greatest fear in having this conversation? What is your greatest hope? What do you hope for from those with whom you disagree around these issues? What do you wish they knew about you and your views? So Nicole, whenever you're ready. All right, let's get started. Um, so where has my understanding of the LGBTQIA community come from? Uh, it started when I was younger, just looking at fiction and bits of fiction that had interaction between same-sex couples. And I would look at it and be like, oh, that's interesting. And I never really thought anything of it, but that exposure, would be so much more important for the years to come. 
when I was younger, I would just think, oh, that's okay. I just didn't think anything of it. I was just like, they're friendly. And um, as I got older, I was like, oh, that was a relationship or, oh, they were dating. Or I remember when I was younger, I had a friend that I was very close to, but I felt a very special kinship to this person more so than anyone else. Then I realized like, oh, I had a crush on them. That's make, that makes more sense. <laughs> and I understood it. It was very much more simpler back in the early 2000s to mid 2000s to 2010s. And it shifted over time because the topic has become more open to the public. But I think now people are more concerned about what your words say about you. So if you're bisexual and you stick with that strict definition of cis man and cis woman, then automatically you're transphobic. But I don't believe that. I believe that there should be a voice for people who do have a preference for cis people. And that's perfectly fine because that nuance allows people to express themselves more authentically. Let them live in their world. Let them let us all live in our own worlds and let us all come together and introduce each other like were our own countries trying to create this, to close this cultural divide between one another. And I think that's where that beauty comes from. My hope is that people understand that I want a universal love, but my fear is people thinking that I'm not rooting for the right side because I'm not saying it the way they want to. I, like I said before, I have this analogy where I like to view people as countries, right? And each country, or each person comes with their own culture, comes with their own slang, comes with their own um, rituals for sacred things here and there. And when you get to, when one country meets another country, there's usually a language barrier. I could easily say to Stuart, which I have done before, like, let me get you some food. And he'll be like, I'm not a baby. I can take care of myself. But he's not understanding that what I'm saying is, I love you, let me take care of you. Because in his country, or him as a person, he's reading that language another way, which is perfectly just as valid. And this can be, this kind of idea, this analogy can be applied very easily to the LGBT community. Whereas like, I wanna be seen as a person, or you don't respect my livelihood, could be easily interpreted as like, oh, you don't see me as a person at all and therefore you're wrong. Whereas that person is just hurt. They just want to be heard for how they're hurt. But someone else can interpret it as them being hyper-defensive and attacking other people. But I think as soon as we break down our own language barriers as if we're our own countries and we try to understand like, oh, what that word means that you're using, you're trying to say that you're hurt not that you're attacking me. And I think the minute we, we try to see each other for each other's best and greatest intent, we get to close the divide closer and closer. And that I think is something I want people to listen to this and hear, and hopefully they take that with them to their everyday lives. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> That's incredible. That's uh, that's hard to follow. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So the question that really stood out to me in this section was 
the second one, uh, how certain do you feel about what to believe about sexuality uh, slash gender identity? Um, do you ever have doubts if you've arrived at the right uh, conclusions? And how free do you feel to voice any doubts that that you have? So um, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think I want to put my social scientist hat on uh, to begin with and kind of zoom out from an individual perspective of gender and sexuality um, to a species perspective, right? So human beings, like every other uh, animal on the planet, we're an animal. And uh, part of being um, a species is that variation is really healthy and important. And I think sometimes as human beings, we forget that, that difference, that variation, that diversity um, are part of what help any species thrive and continue to grow over time. Um, and so the way that I see um, sexuality and gender identity and all things, all things sexuality and gender um, is less about a right interpretation um, and more about appreciating that diversity in experience and seeing it as a part of the general health of our species as, as humans. Um, I think part of what helped me kind of get to that perspective was um, a, a mentor a long time ago when I actually worked at a Catholic social service uh, agency. Um, he asked me one day, he said, uh, his name was Pat Noonan, and he said, Michael, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And he was asking me about this in life in general, and I was like, that is an interesting question. And I think in terms of this kind of work um, around uh, human sexuality and gender, I think maybe a reframing of do we want to be right or do we want to have that common ground that that fulfillment as a group, right? That respect um, that so much of what's amazing about this country is based on that respect for your neighbor and respecting that they may choose to uh, use their agency to live one way and you may use your agency to live another, but still recognizing that you're neighbors, right? And so for me, it's, you know, do we want to be right about this or do we want to be a community? right? Do we want to be a healthy, happy nation? Um, and I want to be a healthy, happy nation. I don't need to be right about anything. And, <laughs> and I really, my hope for, um, for the LGBTQ movement, for, um, for all people, right? For cisgender and heterosexual people is that maybe we can let go of this concept of there has to be a right way to do these things, um, to, to have sexuality, to have gender and instead just say, you know what, all human beings have some kind of sexual orientation and some kind of gender identity, and it's all really good for us as a species, and maybe it's really good for us as a nation to have just that recognition that we all have these things, and there are healthy ways, whether you're LGBTQ or whether you're heterosexual and cisgender, to, to go about pursuing your sexual orientation and your gender identity. And let's support people in that, making those healthy choices, right? To be fulfilled, authentic, healthy adults um, that create a society where children can grow up and thrive no matter who they are, right? Those are what are important to me a lot more than uh, being right about anything. And, and I do hope we get to a place where we can focus on that, that like that whole person, you know, kind of value that whole um, healthy country value. And I, I do have a, you know, some last part of this question, um, how do you feel? Um, 
how free do you feel to voice any doubts? I think as a part of the, the political time that we're living in, where everybody is kind of moving towards more and more extremes and sort of digging into their own ideas and their own sense of rightness, um, it gets harder to voice doubts about anything, right? Or to even not even voice doubts, but ask people to question their own assumptions, right? That's a part of like being a curious and continually learning person is being willing to question your own basic assumptions, your own orthodoxies, right? And so I do feel more and more resistance to just asking people um, to ask more questions instead of assume that the way that is right for them or that fits for their life is right for everybody. Uh, and so that's a that's a caution that I that I have uh, that I would give to everyone is when you feel yourself digging into your own rightness, take a deep breath, <laughs> be a little wary of that, and maybe ask yourself a question then, why am I feeling like I have to dig in? And why do I feel like I have to be right and other people have to be wrong? Is there a way where we can all just be healthy people? And does that make us a healthier society? And so, you know, for me, that's that's the goal and definitely not being right about anything, but creating a society where we can all support each other um, and appreciate the diversity that we naturally have as a species in terms of sexual sexuality and gender. Well, I love that, Michael. Thank you. I, the question I'm going to tackle is, what do I hope for people who disagree with me? And I, the reason I have a particular hope for people who disagree with me is a lesson that I learned one day. I was on a panel and it was at a, actually it was at a United Nations Civil Society conference. And I was part of talking about, okay, what's, what does diversity mean in the community? Is it a value? And I was talking about LGBT as I'm often asked to talk about. And at the end, there was a whole line of people who came up to the microphones and they had questions for the panelists. And a lady came up to the microphone and she pointed at me and she said, I know what you are doing. You want to change my theology, don't you? And I had a couple seconds to formulate an answer to that in front of hundreds of people and TV cameras and being aware that I needed to really weigh my words. And I realized in a split second that she was exactly right, that I was trying to change her theology. I was trying to change everyone's theology to be in line with my own, which meant a theology that affirmed LGBT people. And in the same split second, I realized how wrong that was, that that wasn't the, the person I wanted to be. So I said to her, I wouldn't want you to change my theology because I have my own walk with God. And so I do not want to change your theology. You have your own journey with faith. And I have believed that ever since. That has totally changed my life. So what I hope for people who disagree with me, like this woman did, I hope that people who disagree with me will talk to me and say, here's what I disagree with, because it helps me not only to understand perhaps things that I hadn't noticed that I'm communicating or that, that people are receiving from the world, that's then helpful for me to address going forward, but also for me to have a course correction 
and to look at my own self and my own attitudes. So for those of you out there who don't agree with me on anything at all, I hope you will come and and tell me why and talk to me about it because I want to learn from you. I want to learn from your wisdom and I want to learn how, how can I be a better person? It doesn't mean I'll change my mind about something, but I will have a greater understanding. So that is my hope. It's fascinating to me that all three of you in different ways promoted bridging work through disagreement, through variety, through nuance, through all these things, that bridging work, even if you didn't know that's what you were doing, everyone's kind of secretly doing bridging work. The question I wanted to answer was question two. How do you, how certain do you feel about what to believe about sexuality? Do you ever doubt if you've arrived at the right conclusions? My dad is a scientist. He went to MIT. He's always been a very scientifically minded person. And he taught us very much to question what you believe, question what people tell you, question your teachers, question the books. Don't ever just take things for the way they are. And his dad was a scientist and he was the same. He would always question. And his dad was like a whole long line of scientists on one side of my family. But my mom is a very interesting, almost exactly the opposite minded person. Where my mom's the kind of woman who can grab hold of a virtue and say, this is true. It doesn't matter where it came from, I feel it in my gut, I feel it in my heart, and this is true. And it's interesting to grow up with both of those very different perspectives on what truth is. To my dad, truth is something that's quantifiable, something that's measurable, something that if it's through an argument, whoever makes the best points is the one that's true. But to my mom, truth is like this burning flame inside of her that she knows. And even if people don't agree, it's still the truth. It doesn't matter. It, it it motivates her to do incredible things. And for me, I've, I've struggled to find how to find out what is the right conclusions. I have very little personal experience with sexuality and gender questions. I think everyone goes through a phase, of course, where they're like, they question who they are. They question the establishment of things have been given to them. But I've had a weirdly unique strength and weakness of always just kind of knowing who I was. My brothers always say like, even when I was a little kid, like I've never really changed that much of my personality. I've always been pretty solid in who I was, but I've always been curious about why I am the way that I am. And so I always try to dig down into what I really believe. And what I really believe are three things. There's three values that I hold above all else. One is that freedom is the only way to happiness. Like we need freedom. We need to promote freedom for all people across all demographics and all lands. Freedom is vital for survival. Number two is balance. Everything needs to be done in moderation. Freedom to excess is dangerous, just like control to excess is dangerous. If everything is balanced, then it's harmonious. And it works together with itself. And the third is charity. As the scriptures define, it's the pure love of Christ, because I'm a Christian. But in general terms, charity is a love of 
and a promotion for and a focus towards humanity, that humans are what matter, that people matter, that people's experiences, people's perspectives, people's anecdotal lives are what matter most. And so those three things, freedom, balance, and charity, that's how I filter through all of my beliefs. If they can go through those three and it comes out the other side intact, I'm like, that's a belief I want to keep. So when it comes to my beliefs on sexuality and gender identity, I'm not certain that I know what's true, but I am certain that people should have the right to choose it, that people should have the balance to not force it on others or force it away from others, and that the people in the experiences, the people who are living their lives, that's what's more important than the policies, than the issues, than the the hashtags and the events the people are what's most important. We've now entered the stage of the living room conversation where we can open it up a little bit more to discussion. And I just want to open the question to you, to you guys. What points do you want to go off of? What struck you as everybody else was speaking? Well, I loved that, that all of us really talked about bridge building in different ways. And and it got me curious about the different ways that each of us approach bridge building around this particular topic. So I would be really curious to to hear your thoughts and maybe like some helpful tips that for listeners who are thinking, huh, yeah, I wonder how I could have these conversations. I wonder what these folks have learned along the way. That is an excellent question. And I think that that would be a really fruitful conversation. I do want to turn it on you a little bit just to talk about the work that you do with Parity. Like, how is it that you guys bridge the gap with the faith communities and the LGBT community? Because like you said, people view them as enemies. How do you make sure that that's not the narrative? Well, it's it's impossible to make sure that that's not the narrative because it's it's what is out there every single day. So what I try to do is I try to highlight where faith and LGBT come together and overlap. So helping to highlight the the voices and the work of LGBT people of faith, but also to highlight people of faith who aren't LGBT, who have loving hearts. And that does not necessarily mean that they have affirming theology. That can be tremendously important for some folks. And I don't want to diminish that. For some folks, finding an affirming church is extremely important. But for other LGBT folks, they can be perfectly happy and fulfilled in a faith setting that isn't affirming. So to normalize that as well, because often what we hear in the world is, okay, well, you can't be LGBT and a person of faith. Oh, all right. Well, I guess you are. Well, you better find an affirming church or synagogue or or whatever. But that's actually a stereotype. All of us are very different people. And for those folks who who aren't affirming, say faith leaders or parents who are thinking, how can I be the most loving way I can be towards the LGBT folks in my congregation, in my life, in my family? What I say is, if you're thinking about it, you're likely doing it. And to really affirm people in where they are and not have some type of like false line that they need to reach to finally be a good ally or to finally be a loving person. If you're thinking about it and you're being loving in your way, then thank you for being you is what I say. So that's how parody does 
our work in the world. It's very individual and it's, and it's beautiful that it is. For the listeners, can you define what affirming would mean in this context, just so that they can understand? Sure. So generally affirming in a, in a faith context or in a family context means shorthand gay is okay. So in a faith context, that may mean that someone could be ordained into leadership, could preach, could teach in a family setting. That may mean that, okay, LGBT is something that's held to, to an equal value. So here's the, here's the part where we need to be really careful with that. Affirming can also mean perhaps I don't agree that gay is okay. So my, say my theology or my personal thoughts are, okay, people should be heterosexual. That's totally fine. But that means that you need to affirm the individual, not affirm an ideology. So it's not, when we're talking about LGBT people, we need to get away with, okay, well, do I agree with that ideology or not? Heck no, we, we are individuals. So do you care about Marion? That's the question, not do you, is, do you agree that LGBT is okay or not? That's affirming. Thank you so much. That was perfect. Because that's a term I've heard, but I've never had it defined for me. So I appreciate it. And back to Marion's original question to Michael and to Nicole, how, do, how have you gone about bridging in your own space and in your own way? Yeah, um, I think the most important thing, like Marianne said, is like viewing people as individuals. And to piggyback off of that, I think the step further to do that is to remember that not every person that you meet that prescribes to this community or that community is the mouthpiece of that community, which a lot of people want to believe. Like, you'll hear me say an opinion, and you're like, oh, that every gay person must believe that. It could be a general thing that I could say, like, yeah, generally, this is what people believe in this community. But, you know, don't trust what I say. I'm just, I'm, who am I? You know, I'm just a person. I just, like, I'm just this kid in Austin, Texas. Um, I say kid, but I'm 27. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, I think that's where the fallacy lies is that people believe that like, oh, you're speaking for all your people because you're of that people. But I mean, would you say the same thing if you have the opinion on the NBA, that's how the entire NBA believes or that's the entirety of what the church believes or anything like that? That's not how that works. And I think we, when we remember that, when we remember to stick to that, we can remember like, oh yeah, you're just speaking upon your behalf. And I think that is what's most important. I think that helps bridge it when both sides of the conversation, because like I said, like how bridges work is there are both sides to make a connection for that bridge to actually even come through. It's not just one person handing out an olive branch and the other person being like, okay, that's not how bridges really get built. It's when equal size community of equal sides of conversation have this unspoken agreement be like, okay, I'm trying to look at you from a charitable lens. And I think that bridge building is most important. And I've also, and the truth is some people don't want to build that bridge and that's okay too, because I will say there's a very specific piece of uh, information that I say to myself 
that is so important when I'm talking to people about stuff like this, about anything that is, could be controversial. I'm like, are you committed to misunderstanding me? Because if you're just committed to misunderstanding me, to just you being right, then I'll let you have this. I don't need this as much as you do, clearly. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with what I believe and with what I know to be right for me. But if you're not ready to accept the information for me, there's no point to this dialogue that we're about to have. And I've also extended further, and this is just me being kind of um, just playful, <laughs> is that if you're committed to misunderstanding me, then I'm not committed to making sense to you. So <laughs> like you want to say like, well, that's just incorrect. And I'm like, yeah, you know what else is incorrect? Um, I don't know. Cutting my sandwiches diagonally. That's pretty incorrect. Some people like to do it vertically. They're like, that doesn't relate to the conversation. And I was like, neither did what you said, but here we are. <laughs> so it's if someone wants to engage with you, take that opportunity, see it for what it is. And don't poo-poo on someone and don't yuck on someone just because you finally get to be right. Take your, take your winnings with grace and take your losses with grace. I think that's what's most important in building bridges. For me, uh, bridge building is all about listening with the intent of understanding um, instead of listening to respond. Um, and for me, those are really different things because when we're listening to understand, we dedicate our entire you know, capacity of our brain to actually comprehending what that person is saying, taking it in, um, doing everything that we can do to process what they're saying that that isn't in in the way that we do when we're listening to respond where we're dedicating just you know enough of our brain to listen and then the rest of it formulating a response right and checking against our own values right and so when we're listening to understand we're not checking what that person says against our own our own worldview our own values right we're we're listening we're figure when you know when that person takes a takes a break from speaking we're figuring out how to ask questions that further our understanding not make statements that uh create a contrast between what they're saying or a comparison between what they're saying and our own personal worldview and so for me it's really about that it's about you know like right now in this moment in this conversation it's not what michael believes or thinks this is about understanding you know how stort feels about the world and sees the world and understands the world and and how nicole sees the world and i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best to to not compare what they compare or contrast what you're saying to my own experience but just take in what you're saying and then to further that conversation, to ask you questions that develop deepen my understanding of how you see the world, um, not deepen your understanding of how I believe I'm right. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a big difference in for me in that kind of listening. Um, and so that's what I try to bring to bridge building is, you know, just coming with that frame of mind of this isn't this isn't a debate, number one, this isn't an argument. Um, and to participate in a debate or an argument, there have to be multiple people, right? So if I won't participate in that, it doesn't get to be a debate or argument, right? If I just go, oh, that's really interesting, and then ask questions to further my understanding, it's no longer a debate or argument, right? <laughs> and so, um, so I, I just try to bring that mindset of 
this isn't about furthering conflict. It's not about a right and wrong point of view. This is about having a human relationship and developing an understanding of who this person is or who this group is and how I can know them better. And that tends to work out in my in my uh, experience. Um, it tends to de-escalate things. It tends to not create conflict. And instead, it creates a really surprising relationships and understanding most of the time where, you know, when I show up that way um, as a trans person, as an LGBT person, um, especially for groups that think I'm coming in and will be really oppositional, um, it tends to de-escalate things, tends to bring the stress down, um, and it tends to open up a dialogue when I'm able to show up and be like, yep, I'm not here to argue, I'm not here to tell you you're wrong, I'm really interested in how you see the world, and I'd love to ask you a bunch of questions and listen to you really intently. <laughs> and, and that, you know, that that kind of showing up tends to be reciprocated too. Um, it's very rare that I've experienced when I show up that way that other people don't show up that way. And so that's when we have the opportunity to build together, um, to understand each other, and to be in relationship with one another. I love that. In the wise words of my dad, it takes two to tango. So if you're unwilling to be the, the combatant, combat's over. Exactly. I want to ask you, Michael, a question, and we'll kind of go to our closing round after this. But how, like, has there been a time in your work in Arizona with one community where you have been in a heated situation where somebody wanted to be combative? And how did you de-escalate that? There, there are lots of times like that. Um, I feel like that's uh, uh, often more often the case than not. Um, and interestingly, so uh, we've done a lot of work with um, rather conservative people of faith around policy, passing LGBTQ inclusive policy um, that also affirms First Amendment rights like freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Um, and interestingly, we've gotten a lot of pushback from the LGBTQ community, um, from the sort of more uh, left progressive wing of the community. And so for me, it's about, um, I remember several meetings in particular where we were kind of tossing around some ideas, talking about this work. And, you know, people, the response of numerous people was one of defensiveness, one of frustration. Um, people, you know, kind of saying, well, who are you to have, you know, the audacity to think that you can do this work, right? And for me, it's very important in those moments to not take it personally, and to think about where this person is coming from and realizing that their reaction actually probably doesn't have anything to do with me. It has a lot to do with them not feeling seen or valued or do you know what I mean? And so then that's kind of how I approach those situations is like, well, you know, tell me where you feel you fit into this work or, you know, what are you not feeling um, appreciated? You know, how are you not feeling appreciated right now? And what can I do so that you do feel appreciated or your work is, you feel your work is seen and appreciated and, and we're all a part of this together. Because um, for most people, you know, we, we bring our hurts, our traumas, um, we tend to take those out on other people uh, when it, when they aren't necessarily related. And so, um, when we reach those kinds of situations where people are frustrated or where people are um, angry or anything like that, <laughs> um, I try to get to the root of what's happening there um, and and listen to someone's concerns, their frustrations, um, and then move into, okay, now where do we go, right? And so how can we do this work together? Um, 
because you know that's there's a lot of they're just there are a lot of folks that experience uh, one side or the other or both of of issues around gender and sexuality today and see the increased polarization and there's a lot of folks that have done a great deal amount of work around it um some of it's been highly effective if some of it hasn't and that's okay that's part of the work too right so it's all about you know realizing that it takes all of these strategies to get us even a little bit further right like it takes all of us kind of stumbling around in the dark doing the best we can <laughs> trying to make sense of all of this uh, putting everything we have towards the work and you know at the end of the day i try to appreciate people for what they've done i try to invite people into the work that that i'm curious around doing and truly be open to their feedback and how they want to shape things and change things um and for me that's just kind of the recipe for moving through it is just don't get defensive myself um, don't take it personally and do my best to you know to bring people into the solution even when it's difficult right and um or into the work even when it's difficult and to learn from those folks because everybody has something valuable to add to this work that that i've worked with no matter you know if they come from a, a very progressive place or from a more conservative faith place everybody has something important and valuable to bring to this work that i learned from and it makes me better at the work and a better leader I think that simple truth is what changes anyone's perspective on problem solving. If you can truly believe that everybody has something to contribute, that every organization, every perspective has some value, it may not be equal value, but it has, everyone has something to add. If we can all actually internalize that truth and apply it, we'd solve a lot of our problems. I think you're right. Um, I uh, I was in America. I served in AmeriCorps for two years, and uh, during that time, the sort of slogan was "Everybody leads," right? And like you said, maybe everybody doesn't lead equally, and maybe does everybody doesn't contribute equally, but everybody does lead in some capacity and has something to offer. And you know, that's that is such a critical part of this kind of work. And I don't think you can actually do work that will be enduring around sexuality and gender if we don't invite everybody into the work um, and and use all of our talents to get to a solution that works for everyone. I wholeheartedly agree. And I thank you guys for joining me today. I would talk for another hour if I could, but because I love me. it. This is the, the most fruitful thing I do with my life is have deep, meaningful conversations with engaged people and i love that well we're going to move to round three and we're going to do this rather quickly there are several questions we can answer but i'm just going to take the first one because that's my favorite and then we can each answer that unfortunately um reverend marion had to step away and so she won't be able to answer this question but the question is what was the most meaningful slash valuable thing to you in this living room conversation and I'll go first, and then we'll go to Michael and then Nicole. To me, it was the fact that there is diversity of thought and diversity of opinion in every community. Both Michael and Nicole, you both touched on the idea that sometimes you get pushback from the LGBT community for being more open, which I think is the, the irony of that is not lost on me. It doesn't matter what community you're a part of or what 
belief structure you have. There is diversity within that. I go to a Christian church within my congregation. There is diversity of opinion. It's not like we are all one drone army that all agree. Everybody has diversity of opinion. Everybody has an equal and interesting perspective that needs to be taken into account in order to solve problems. So we need to give everybody a voice and we need to, like you said, Michael, bring everybody in, sit us down, have a conversation, solve a problem, and then put into action. So that was my answer. Um, so my answer, uh, I, uh, Nicole, you said you're 27, Stuart, you're at BYU, so I assume you're kind of in the same age range of 20s, um, late 20s. Uh, I'm 43, and so I uh, love having conversations with younger folks and learning from how you see the world and how what your experience of gender and sexuality is because it's so different from mine, right? I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, really different time than today. And so it's really fun for me to learn how how you understand sexuality and gender and how you understand living in a civil society together, right? And and doing this pluralistic society and democracy. Um, and really, I've found both of you really inspiring because you're so focused on on bridge building, right? You're so focused on um, not engaging in conflict, but engaging in something much deeper that knits people together um, and that builds upon, you know, who we are as individuals into this beautiful, diverse society. And so I just, I've had a lot of fun listening to you both today and learning from you and find it really inspiring, so. Well, let me uh, trade it back to you. It's for the same exact reason why you loved us in this conversation. I loved having you and Marion in this conversation because it's like, I don't actually get to meet trans people and gay people who are prominent in their communities at the ages of like 40 and above. I remember there was this one, it's really sad, but it's also kind of funny. There was this one post on Twitter that said like, um, they saw a trans person who was like 50 years old and it's like, we get to be that age? We grow up to that? That's awesome. And it's like, yeah, buddy, <laughs> everyone gets older. That's how it works. <laughs> and it's like, it's so wonderful. It's so reaffirming to know that you can get to that age and not be changed or beaten down or be convinced that it was a phase that you are authentically still who you are, even well into whatever age and still flourish, be happy, have that community. And it's really really inspiring. So I actually love that you're here in this conversation. I'm really glad that you're here. I also think um, the value of that is just like seeing you both be prominent in your own communities I, makes me feel like a really bad gay because I don't do anything really. I just, like I said before, I just exist defiantly. And whenever my cis straight male friends come up to me and they're like, hey, what does this mean? I'm like, okay. So that means that they like more than one person. They're like, cool 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 and then they like walk away and that's that's how i advocate if you could even call it that but i i just exist as myself and i think i hope that me just imparting bits of wisdom to multiple different friend groups that i have that aren't the aren't the type that usually has gay friends you know i recently made a friend group here that is all just metalheads we all like metal music that's our main thing and 
they talk to me and they're like, you know, I've never met a person like you. I've never met someone who is like you, who talks like you. And I was like, good, that means I'm doing something right. (laughs) And it also like, like you said before, the whole, like, you don't try to come into a conversation being defending your point. I think when you give that olive branch, when they come out the gate ready to fight and you say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. It's very disarming. They have no other moves. Their next move was to keep fighting. And it is, I get a sick satisfaction out of it, but there is something so rewarding to see them go like, oh, oh, um, thank you. Uh, well, thanks for asking. So I do believe that because, and they try to hold on to that anger, but there's no way for, there's no, it can't flourish here. I can't, I'm not feeding into that. I'm feeding into the part that wants to tell me more about yourself and let get to know you and stuff. And I think hearing you say that just proves that, okay, so I'm on the right path because you seem to be well off in your community and also living very happily and healthily makes me feel like, all right, I'm going to just, I'm going to keep going on the street and narrow there. You know, it's very, it's very important. So thank you for being here. Too kind, my friend. <laughs> like I said, she's a professional friend maker. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. She's good at it. <laughs> Only when I'm awake. Now I'm asleep, I fight. My <laughs> there you go. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today. I found this very moving and very insightful. The beauty of living room conversations is that if the listeners at home want to have this exact conversation, you can. You can just go to livingroomconversations.org and download the LGBTQIA plus Exploring Our Understanding Guide today. You can have it with your friends. You can have it with your church. You can have it with your neighbors. All of our guides, all of our resources are free to use. And that's what we specialize in. We're a we specialize in being a scalable resource-based company that you can do it at a national level. You can do it with just your friends. You can just read it by yourself and ponder the questions. So I invite you to do that, to find these guys that interest you. We have them across hundreds of different topics. All of our work is done through donations and we really do I'm I'm gonna put it out there. I always feel awkward doing it. I don't know why, but we I'm gonna ask for donations because that's how we survive. That's how we do the work that we do across the country. That's how we travel. That's how we create guides. That's how we stay employed. Is through the donations. You can go to our website. You can join our Patreon. We have some exclusive content on there. Just help support the work. Help the bridge building work go forward. You can follow us on Instagram, which is fun. That's where I live. So you can do that. We're at Living Room Convo on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube at Living Room Conversations. So thanks again. Thank you for having us. This was wonderful. I think like the work that you guys are doing is so important. And for people who have a loved one, they want to understand them better and they have nowhere to start. I think this is a great resource, even in their own time. They don't have to tell anyone. They could just secretly 
look you guys up, go through the different guides and be like, oh, this is what they're thinking of. Okay, I understand them better, but I don't agree. And it's slowly, it, it bridges that gap. And I think you're doing something wonderful and it's worthy of donation, especially that Patreon. That, yeah, I mean, your OnlyFans is great on that Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> you can, your exclusive content could just be more talking. It doesn't, you don't have to do anything spicy, all right? That's it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You guys have a good rest of your day. Thank you. And I hope to have another so conversation soon. All right. Text yes. me back. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.